Welcome to this episode of Pen to Paper Press Podcast. I'm Cindy Coaches. I enjoy spending time with best-selling authors, writers, editors, publishers, and creative souls to talk about the process of developing our stories to completing our works of art. Each episode is an opportunity for us to explore mindsets, pearls of wisdom, and the experiences that began our journey as a writer from the moment we put pen to paper. Today's episode is a collection of conversations with podcast guests as a way to inspire you and offer support, and most importantly, remind us of our natural creative brilliance. This episode begins with Andrea Pass. Then you'll hear from Barb Parcells, Liz Meritz, Martine Felton, Crystal Cockerham, Nadia Krauss, Debbie Keevan, and concludes with Rachel Kiefer reminding us to reclaim our creativity and be creative for the joy of it. All right, enjoy. You have to start somewhere. And I work with my clients to media train them, to prepare them. Not every interview is going to be perfect, but that's okay because there'll be another one afterwards. And I have an author that I work with who did an interview, a podcast, and I listened afterwards. And she said, when the podcaster asked, what is your brand? Her answer, now, mind you, this is book number seven. She says, I don't have a brand. And I'm listening to the interview and I want to reach through the computer and grab her shoulders and shake her and say, yes, you are your brand. You write in a certain style. She writes about the Deep South. She writes about subjects that intertwine things that happen in her life, even though she might be writing historical fiction. She finds a way to do something that means something to her in her writing. So she does have a brand. So every author does have a brand. It doesn't mean that because you wrote a book today that's a historical fiction book, that tomorrow you can't write a romance novel. Doesn't mean that, but you still have your brand. And getting your brand out there is going to make you relevant. We met, by the way, we met working in a bookstore, so that shouldn't surprise anybody. Um, <laughs> but anyway, it's it's a mystery. And hopefully, in my mind, I have the first three books in the fiction series uh, already. You know, I know what I'm going to write about for the first three books, and that's one of them. So I'm going to bring it out of mothballs and and injected theory <laughs> somewhere i'm not sure where probably the last book because it's a very long one but we'll see we'll see i leave all possibilities open yes leave the possibilities open i love that you know and and i'm trying to remember you and i had spoke the other day and you had come up with i wrote it down and of course now i'm looking for it which one was it? <laughs> I gave you three. Well, it was a quote. You, we were, we were talking about um, how can you write from your heart if your head is busy yelling at you. That's where I love that quote. That's just, where meditation comes in. Yeah, you got to get. You've got to just clear the room. I that's I I think of it that way. It's like you are clearing the room, you're shutting off the phone, you're turning off the tablets, you're, you know, whatever you want to call it, you're clearing the room. 
I don't like that. Clearly. You can't hear your heart. You can't hear your heart. You can't write from your heart if your mind is telling you, oh, don't write that. That's silly. Nobody's going to believe that. Or nobody's going to like that. Or, yeah. you know, that isn't any good. You can't. I open, I point to the window. Um, Louise Hay also used to say whenever she had a negative thought, she would yell, I should point to the window and yell, out, get out. Oh, <laughs> so, that's what I tell my bad thought. I give it a name. She's got a name. Um, I won't tell you. <laughs> You'll think I'm crazy. <laughs> um, I'll say, get out. Come on. I'm writing. Bye. Well, and the other thing is, is you know, you can't be creative if your mind is consumed with how am I going to pay the bills? How am I going to, you know, what's for dinner? What am I, what am I going to do when so-and-so calls? Or how do I take care of this task? When your mind is looped on answering other questions, you know, you cannot open your heart when your mind is, you know, you got the monkey mind running around with a pair of scissors going, yee-hee, woohoo, you know? Yeah. Exactly. Running with scissors. Running um, with scissors. <laughs> you know, in my case, in my case, um, I was doing okay with, as I say, with like nonfiction and advertising and journalism, that kind of stuff. But the fiction had to wait until I was at a point where, you know, I was on my own and, and, you know, I'm retired. I have a small income. I live in a studio apartment. My bills are very small and I can devote my time to writing fiction. Uh, not everybody can do that. I know people who, in fact, there's a young lady I know through my church who uh, works a job mm -hmm. and writes, you know, when the kids go to bed. Yes. Or she'll get up early before the kids wake up and put in an hour. Uh, you know how many writers started that way? Millions. J.K. Rowling started that way. Oh, her story is, is phenomenal. Yes, I know. I know. And, and, you know, that's you, Stephen King used to write at his kitchen table on a, on a. It's going to be very individualized for each, uh, for each mom. Um, but I do think you have to think about, do I have to find this time or, or can I create this time? And if you have the ability to create that time, that's a conversation to have with your partner, your spouse, or whoever's in your support net. Uh, and, and just make sure that you've got, you know, what you need to, to, to create that product. But um, if you're finding time, you just do, you just do what you can when you can. And don't look at anyone else. Don't compare yourself to anyone else. If it takes you eight years to write your first book, guess what? I've been listening to a lot of author interviews lately, and that's actually pretty common, especially for those of us who start writing in our late 20s and early 30s. So, um, yeah, it's again, it kind of goes back to you can't control everything. And so don't make this something that is a burden. Make it something that is an outlet for your creative energy. And if you need to take a nap one day instead of writing, just go take that nap, sister. Just go get that sleep. Like you do you. <laughs> I love it. Oh, nap time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, hey, right? it could save you. A nap could save you four hours of editing <laughs> later on, right? <laughs> exactly. Agreed. Because if you're, when you're in it, you're in it. When you're, when you're trying to force it, you're not in it. And yeah, you're right. That is where a good chunk of like, 
oh my goodness, what was I thinking? Editing happens. <laughs> well, and I will also say, so as a, I, I have a PMP credential, which is a project management professional credential. So I basically had to like take a test and get a certification, just like, you know, a real estate agent or a CPA or something like that. So I have that project management background. In order to maintain that credential, I have to do continuing education credits. Okay. So I actually wrote, sorry, I actually edited a majority of Brody Monster while I was at a PMI conference. This was before COVID shut down the world. Um, I edited most of the book while I was at a PMI conference in Philadelphia, waiting for my sessions to begin. <laughs> Oh, wow. And so you get to a room, you know, you'd have 15 or 20 minutes before the speaker would stand up and the session would start. And I just had my little, I had my little like iPad with my keyboard and I was just editing, you know, a couple pages here and there. When I sent that uh, edited version back to my editor after getting back from that conference trip, he was like, what did you do? This is amazing. <laughs> and I was like, I had no children and I was breaking it up into really small pieces of work at one time. And my brain was like, on fire that whole week so <laughs> that is that's a brilliant way of doing your editing because you're you're focused wholeheartedly and it's not because you're bored it's because you know you want to get this done you're in an environment where you can you know just sink yourself into it and you're working in it on it in short clips so you're really focused on what's on the page right now right in front of you versus the okay what did i say three chapters back you're in the yes. moment and, then, and there are other times for that you can catch that later but right. i was working on sentence structure and active voice and all that fun stuff so <laughs> that's great and then you know as that that um I want to say product management, and I know that's wrong. Um, but as someone who is working on projects all the time, and you're always writing out your deadlines and, and making those, what are some tips that you can share for someone who has no concept of what somebody who does project management, you know, so they so they can implement you know, maybe a, a bit of what you have to share. Yeah, so I'll give, this is one way that you can approach it. There are a hundred different, a thousand different ways you could approach it, but I'll just share kind of what I do. And, you know, just so everyone that's listening knows, like, this is not the only way to do it. Um, so there are, I'll get kind of technical for a minute, just for people who are interested in the project management side. There oh. are approximately seven different, um, distinct project management frameworks. So there's, you've probably heard of Agile, Scrum, Lean, Waterfall. These are, just Google these. I'm not gonna get into it because that's that's like a lot of information. But um, my, I started my career doing waterfall projects and I uh, very, very quickly sort of converted to Agile. And the difference between those two, um, those two methodologies is that Waterfall basically asks the project manager to create everything from, from the beginning. So you basically plan out the entire project. You would have to literally have a list of tasks that got you from 
sitting down, before you sit down the first time to write until the book is in production and, you know, for sale on Ingram Spark or, you know, it gets you, it, it is supposed to encompass the entire process from creation to production to publication. Okay. What Agile does, and this is why I love it, um, and I think most people prefer, I'm just speaking for most project managers and, and people in general, prefer Agile because what you do with Agile is it, it's called a methodology, but it's really more of a skeletal framework that allows you to kind of put your own stamp on it and make it what you want it to be. And the core tenet of Agile is that you come up with like this very minimal product that you're going to create first. So um, someone might start out by saying, I'm gonna create an outline for my book, a two page chapter outline. I want it to be approximately eh, 30 chapters and they might put that outline together. Um, and so then that's their first product and then you're done. And so that's one iteration. Okay. And then you come back to it and you say, um, so now the next thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to write one chapter. I'm going to write chapter five. Maybe I'll start in the middle. I'm going to write chapter five. So you write chapter five, no edits. You just get it on paper. It's about, you know, what, 1500 words. You're done. Okay. And then you come back to it and you say, I'm going to do, I felt pretty good with chapter five and it took me about five hours to write. So I have a whole week this week. I'm just going to knock out like four more chapters. So you write chapters one through four and then you're done. So what I do, I kind of give all of that background information because I like to actually, if someone likes a more tactile project management process, I would recommend, I should have drawn something up on the whiteboard behind me, but I didn't, I wasn't. No, I wasn't that's that, but <laughs> <laughs> you, so um, you can have, uh, like a column that says like backlog and then next to that you have one that says in progress or it could say like to do in progress and then you have completed right so just a three column you know little flow chart there and then you can take post-it notes or if you want to get real fancy like velcro magnet kind of whatever whatever works for you whatever you have at your house post-it notes are great yeah. um and you and you can literally write down what what you want to accomplish um, in any given uh, piece of time. And and this is where I this is where I do my three and four month planning that I was referencing back then. So mm -hmm. I would write I would write um, I would write out a post-it note for all of the broad tasks that I want to complete in a three or four month period. And I would try to the best of my ability to decide how much time each of those would take me to complete. Right. And then, you know, every time I sit down to work, I take, you know, I'll, I'll take three post-it notes and I'll put them into the like in progress column. And so what I just like write chapter, write an outline, write chapter one. Once I know how long chapter one takes me to write, you know, write additional chapters in bulk. Those would be like, those would be a great first two weeks for a book, maybe uh -huh. depending on how much time you have. And then once you've completed that, you move those cards over to the uh, completed column. And that is so that is so mentally satisfying that you get to celebrate those little wins along the way by moving those cards into the completed uh, so category. Cool. So then you're not waiting for the completion of your first draft 
you can celebrate like, hey, I freaking wrote like one twentieth of my book today. Like, go me. (laughs) 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 And it's like you have you have to find those little wins. And yeah, and I'm I'm kind of a math person too, so I like to I like to measure how much time it takes me to write a chapter, and then say, okay, that chapter took me, you know, five hours to write. Now I'm going to try to do another one in four. (laughs) And it's like a little game you play with yourself. Yeah, that competitiveness. (laughs) Yes, yes. So again, this isn't, I wouldn't recommend that for every single person, but it's definitely something, it's it's a starting point. And if it works for you, awesome. If it doesn't, you can also iteratively tweak your process too, so that it better fits you. So you can, you don't have to break it up exactly the way that I broke it up. You could literally have one card be write the first draft. If you're a super fast writer and you have, you know, eight to five every day to write, just knock that first draft out in two weeks, like go for it. But that was not, that was not my schedule at the time. (laughs) I had to break it up even further. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, breaking, breaking the work up into digestible chunks and digestible is different for each person, breaking the work up into digestible chunks, writing it down, and then allowing yourself to work through those, those chunks in a, um, in kind of a controlled manner. That's, that's what I would recommend. And that is, that is in effect, a very, very high level version of agile project management. Okay. And in, and in doing so, you're also reducing that fear of unknown, because now you have that expectation of, oh, this is what I got to do. This is the plan. So having that set in motion is going to be very beneficial to those that need that structure. Um, And someone who that structure is intimidating, they can adjust it and make it more free flowing or freeing or whatever that they need. It's completely adjustable to the, the individual. So that's cool. I, yeah, I like how you explained all of that. Cause <laughs> you really portrayed that, that ability to make it yours. And that is so important because when we try to copy or emulate what somebody else does, it doesn't necessarily resonate with us. And and what does that do? It chokes us up like uh, I'm doing this wrong when really you can't do it wrong. As long as you're doing something, you're really not doing it wrong. (laughs) Right. It's only wrong if it's not working for you. What are some of the advice or pearls of wisdom that you would offer to somebody who would like to get into the journaling practice, but, you know, feels that they don't have time to do it? I think I would, I would say if you, if you feel like you don't have time, it doesn't really, you don't have to sit down for an hour to journal. You know, it can, you can take like, 10 or 15 minutes to journal. You can start off by, you know, writing, writing that what's going on in your day or whatever you feel, if you feel like you need to vent, I know venting, you know, I can go off on tangents. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Yeah. And just vent my journal. Or, I mean, if you want, it's whatever. It doesn't, you could write a sentence, you could write keywords, whatever, 
you know, you can doodle in there. I do a little bit of art journaling too um, with collages and cutting out pictures and pasting them together. It just relaxes me. And you can make your journal, tailor your journal experience to, you know, who you are and what makes you happy, what makes you comfortable. But it doesn't have to be a long period of time. It can take 10 or 15 minutes. I like that you reinforce that make it yours. Yeah. Do it your way. That mm -hmm. there are no set rules. Yeah, there aren't any set rules. No, because there are some people who who kind of put that out there that this is how you do it. This is the ABCs of journaling. And it's like, what? <laughs> so thank you for the reminder. And yeah, yeah. I, I, I really believe that. Like it's because a lot of my journals, like I'll doodle and I'm like, okay, I really don't have anything to write here. And being that I like art, I'm a little artsy, or I, I, I like to think I am. Um, I, like to, <laughs> I like I'll doodle and whatever, and and ten minutes, fifteen minutes will pass, and I'm like, okay, that's all I got for you today, and that's it. There is something about connecting the pen to paper and getting that flow and into, I want to say brain dump, but in this case, it's not really a brain dump. Um, you're, you know, you're focused on the intent and not looking for ideas. You've already got that. Um, is there more to your writing process other than putting it to pen to paper and then transferring it to, transferring it to the computer? I almost said typewriter. <laughs> There's a Freudian slip. <laughs> I know, right? Um, well, for me, it's in layers and it's not a sit down and get her done kind of thing. It, it That is just not how I operate. It's very much a creative process in every way. And if, if the space begins to not feel sacred or if I start to feel frustrated or I start getting distracted, I stop and then I come back to it. I like that. You know, when I can, because I don't want that energy interfering with what is supposed to be coming through because then I am in the way of the message. So for me, it's just really, it, it's really imperative that I protect the integrity of the piece as it's coming through. Mm -hmm. um, and to maintain it as the way that it is supposed to be received, right? And so for me, everything is, you know, I tap into the purpose of the piece of, of the project, the purpose of the piece. And I just put the audience in front of me with the intention that it's going to be received and it's going to help the, the people who it's meant to help. Um, and I keep that like front and center. And for me, that's 
that that's what happens when you're in your sacred space. So a sacred space doesn't necessarily mean a special room of the house or anything like that. Um, it's the inside sacred space. But I do do things like I mentioned in my immediate environment that helps me uh, maintain and stay within in that space right. uh, for for the peace to come through. And so for me, you know, I'm a child of handwriting and typing classes and, you know, <laughs> all of that. So for me, the electronics are a block sometimes because as soon as I put it on the computer, it's very easy to get caught up in the grammar or the syntax or the perfect words. It interrupts my flow for me. So for me, um, it absolutely has to come through untethered. And the only way for that for me is, as you put it, putting the pen to the paper. Right. And you're right. I didn't even think how... It's interesting because of the fact that when we do have it on the computer, it's easy to highlight, delete, and on the page, we can scratch something out, but it's still there. We still know what was in that block uh, that we have scribbled over. Even though you might not be able to read it, we know what's there. <laughs> and uh, with the computer, we also have that autocorrect, that auto grammar. And you're right, that would block that, that flow. And because you are looking at why is there a red squiggly line underneath the word you know, entrepreneur, you know, mm -hmm. because I, you know, <laughs> that's one of those words I always misspell. Mm -hmm. um, but anyways, yes, with the pen to paper, you're, it's free flow. What was your, your writing process um, you know, did you sit down with an outline and, and go from there? Or did you just kind of, how did you put the book together? How did you? So there's three, three steps that I learned. And it was pre-write, rewrite, and edit. And the pre-write was assembling the, the cards, assembling the blog posts, making it visual, taking maybe however long it takes, a morning or an afternoon or an evening to lay out all the cards that represent all the stories on the floor and to piece them together because I'm very visual. So I like creating mind maps. So it was a literal embodied mind map on the floor with all the cards. So that's the pre-write in the sense of preparing to write. Then, oh, sorry, it was like this, pre-write, free-write and then rewrite. So the free writing is the dumping you mentioned, the just dump it, just dump it. Since I had already done that through blogging, it was really that pre-write got really important. And then it, I had to free write the missing puzzle pieces for the, for the blog pieces to make sense. But I couldn't edit, you know, I, that doesn't come at that time. So, so it's pre-write, free write, and then the rewrite is the editing process, which that's the easiest part. That is the <laughs> easiest part. After everything is dumped and prepared, oh my goodness, you can use things like Grammarly, 
you know, and it, it's, that was the easiest part. You know, it, somebody asked me not too long ago, was the easiest part of writing. And I said editing and they laughed at me. And mm -hmm. so it's so nice to hear that somebody else thinks that editing is, is the easy part. And oh, she wanted to know why, why I thought that. And it's like, because I have a foundation. The foundation is there. So now from, from, from all of this, I get to decide whether I want to keep this, if it fits, and, and how do I, uh, you know, bridge these two things together? How do I make them connect? And if they don't connect, then are they supposed to be in the same, you know, in the same book? You know, it's, uh, it was really kind of interesting because I didn't even think about my response. And yeah, editing is probably the easiest part. Now, the, the decision on how to publish from, <laughs> from what I've what I'm reading and, and what I'm seeing, you know, in various uh, threads online and, and well, and even in my own case is publishing, because that's probably the hardest part because you're having to decide, okay, am I going to self-publish this? Am I going to go through an indie publishing company? Am I going to go through, um, oh, Oh, I can't think of it now. But anyways, you know, there's different levels of uh, publishers. And then, of course, you got the big, um, you know, you've got the big publishing houses. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, how do you decide? And so many people, I think, have, that's one of their biggest stumbling blocks is making that decision. It obviously depends on your goals as well of course, mm -hmm. um, and your motivation for writing the book. Absolutely. In regards to, to writing and becoming the author of your very own book, yay! <laughs> 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 what pearls of wisdom would you like to share with individuals who want to write that book, but keep you know, setting it off to the side for, you know, that other priority. <laughs> so there's three things that I would like to um, highlight. First, for me, this is, I, I write from the heart. So that's where my writing comes from. So it's a heart's wish and a soul's desire. And that heart's wish and soul's desire ignited, was ignited in the year 2000. So that's 21 years ago. And 21 years later, I'm authoring my first solo book. So dreams don't have a deadline, especially no. when they come from the heart and the soul. So connect to your heart, connect to your heart's magnetism. If something is tugging at you and it won't let you go, and this did not let me go. It just did not let me go. It followed me for 21 years. And at one point, Obviously, you have to act. So that would be number two. So number one is connect to your heart and realize that a heart's wish and a soul's desire doesn't have a deadline. If it keeps popping up, it wants you to listen. So that's number one. Number two is obviously just having heart strings tugged and not taking action is not going to manifest anything. 
So from the creative realm and the heart realm and the soul realm, you have to pull it down to earth. And that takes earth action and start with bite-sized pieces. For me, it was blogging. That was the bite-sized piece that I could share. And then number three is enlist the troops, get support. Don't try to do this perfectly. Don't try to do it by yourself. Let it be messy. Get with mentorship, with group programs, whatever calls you. And I went through to three in total, four, four actually, over the last 20 years. So everything made me grow. I grew as a writer. I love that you say, bring in the troops. That is one of the things that I keep uh, catching myself on is, ooh, my story does matter. I need to get this out. I need to do something with it. And in speaking with other writers, you know, we do hear that, well, it's already been written. Why, why would I want to keep doing this? And that is the one message that keeps coming up is the fact that your voice is so important and only you can say it your way and it's your perceptions that come across on the page it's your energy it's your life force it's you and nobody else like you (laughs) exactly and so the question then becomes is where is your book is it under your feet and if it is you know finds a a tribe of, of other authors who can help you through that process of dusting it off and evaluating it and getting it done, getting it out there, because there's nothing like being on the other side and realizing that the ego. So I, I, I always talk about the ego as my, my ego is the gremlin. It sits on my shoulder and it whispers in my ear, you know, who are you? Why would anyone want to listen to you? You're not that good. You know, who do you think you are? And yeah. so I literally p- picture myself picking him up by the scruff. And it's for some reason, it's a man. I don't know why it's a <laughs> little hairy little monster. I pick him up by the scruff of his neck and I put him in a gerbil ball and I gently kick him away, <laughs> just away. Like, thank you. I know you're trying to keep me safe, but I don't need that anymore. Yes. I like that. And, and what's really ironic about you saying, um, uh, who am I to write this? One of the chapters that I start one of the books that I'm currently working on is titled, who am I to write this? And, and it's really funny because of the fact that we do fall into that mindset of who am I to do that? And, and so pick it apart. Why, why not you? Exactly. You know, and, and so forth. So one thing I wanted to hit on is editing, because I know you've been, you've been editing for a, a very, very long time. <laughs> Probably since I could hold a pen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, one um Something that comes up is when you talk about editing, it can scare the bejeebies out of so many writers new and, and, you know, those writers that have already published uh, several, you know, um, well, whether it's articles, books, 
you know, right. pod, or uh, blog posts, whatever, doesn't matter. They've heard the horror stories of editors completely hacking up their storylines and rearranging content to the point that it's unfamiliar, um, you know, to them. And the biggest fear of all, of course, is the editor telling them that the book is utter crap and would be better served underneath, you know, the birdcage <laughs> or as the liner for a birdcage. And, you know, you and I have both heard people share this. Uh, and, I, you know, I have not experienced it yet, but I haven't worked with the editor in, in that state yet. Right. Um, so you may have. Um, but I'd like to take down a uh, breakdown, excuse me, uh, the types of editors and their roles as a way to lessen some of the anxieties uh, for those that are, you know, in the stage of working on their written works. So it doesn't feel like I'm putting you on the spot or like this is a high school pop quiz. <laughs> I'm good. You can ask me anything. <laughs> Okay. Well, I went to your website and, you know, I wanted to highlight a few of the definitions, but if you're golden with it, there are different types of editors right? and, and there's so much confusion about who does what and, and when. So, so let's tackle the, uh, well, not tackle, I guess that's, you know, you and I are very visual talkers. Right. <laughs> and so tackling the, the developmental editor is probably the inappropriate wording because we don't want to hurt that because that's what you and I both do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't want to be tackled. <laughs> well, and so you, you, you bring up a couple of things that are just so important. And the number one important thing is any editor who just tells you your stuff is crap, run run the other way because everybody's first draft is crap. Yes, it is. It's just crap. And it should be, you should be romping all over the page and not reining things in. And a really great developmental editor will be able to see the golden pearls or pearls are not golden, but golden gems <laughs> that are in your words and help you polish your work and rearrange your story in a way that makes it more compelling, but actually makes your voice even clearer. Right. Because the, the role of a, a really gifted developmental editor is to really see what's not being said between the lines and then help identify and pull all that yumminess forward yes. and actually give you something that you're like, I wrote that. That's the feeling you want to have when you work with an editor. You won't always have that feeling because then we get into the copy editor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who's, who's my, who's the, the red pen editor, if you will. That's the person who checks your grammar, who makes sure that you've got synchronicity in your, in your tenses and your, your um, points of view and that the word choices that you've made are the best choices to strengthen your sentence. Um, but the copy editor comes later, but the developmental editor is really there to help you shape a story. So for example, if you're writing a memoir, you may decide that the easiest way to write that memoir is to write it linearly as things happened. 
because a memoir again, just remembers a slice of your life. It's not your whole life. It's a slice. And so when you're writing that slice to write, it may make sense to you to, to write it linearly, but a really good developmental editor will look at the story and say, maybe you would want to consider moving this part up here. And the developmental editor will also say, I want to give you permission to tell me no, because it's your story. Oh, I like that. Uh, you know, and, and I learned that at Stanford is like, you can make suggestions and critical recommendations, but at the end of the day, it's the author. I actually have, um, as part of that program, we were um, married is not the right word, but paired with a New York times bestselling author who then guided us through editing our, that first major draft, which by then was like maybe the third or fourth revision. And I was paired with this amazing author who will remain nameless because I have a nun in my book and she didn't like the way the nun was characterized. She's like, nuns are not like that. And I said, well, they can be, I had nuns who were like that and not all nuns are the same. And she was like, the nun has to go because she could not, she had a personal bias. And when I took it back to my writing group with whom I'd been sharing, they all were like, no, the nun has to stay. It's a critical part of the story. So trusting your gut is so important and listening to what the editor has to say, but it's a trust relationship. Yes. You know, and, and, and recognizing that editors have biases. Yes. So it's not like we're, it's not like we're a goddess where we have a magic wand and we, everything we say is true. I'll give you an example from my life of what I'm trying to say. Um, Like, a few a, a, a bunch of years ago, um, I was singing in a chorus, and that chorus was led by a musician who led um, a women chorus. It was a chorus for women only, and her advertisement for the chorus was "Every woman can sing." Now, if you think about that, that sounds like oh, what do you mean? Every woman can sing? I mean, you look at those all those like song competitions that we have on TV <laughs> where people are told like, you can't sing or hold on to your day job because that's not for you or, you know, and we really get that message of like, Oh no, I can't do that. Or some people are good at that. And some people are not good at that. And some not good at that. Or, you know, like, like we are, um, have this like, narrow definition of what creativity is and what it means for us and um, a lot of judgment on ourselves and our creativity and I remember when I saw her advertisement and I just saw like every woman can sing I was like wow is that really true you know and it was amazing being part of that chorus because 
many women in the chorus were attracted to that proclamation because they did not think of themselves as somebody who can sing. And she brought out the singer in them. And we had an amazing chorus that performed in many, many places. We were even on TV, you know, and it was just a, yeah, it was just an amazing experience on how, you know, like every person can reclaim their creativity. Well, and I love the message that you can do it. You're, we're not going to, you know, cast you out. You're yeah. not going to be odd man or odd woman out. Um, you know, I'm here to embellish and I'm here to raise you up and I'm here to teach you and help expand what you're what you naturally do oh my god talk about brilliant i mean that's just wonderful yeah (laughs) it was a very very wonderful experience yeah and um so you know when you think about creativity and health Mm -hmm. um i you know like and in my own life and in my many many years of experience working with women and i'm i'm sure men have their own version of it but i have the experience of working with a lot of women because my business is catered towards women um i like see such a big direction between creativity and health in many different ways i think one way that is you know, like more obvious. And I think that there is now more and more research about it and evidence of it is how creativity affects our mental health. You know, like how people um, use creativity to improve their mental health. You know, so there's a way that you can express your feelings by writing or singing or acting or painting you know there's a way that you can relax your nervous system by doing um you know like creative activities like crafting so there's a lot of evidence and a lot of research is done about the connection between doing a creative activity and its healing effect on us you know so there's lots and lots and lots of ways that you can do that and that is a that is an amazing thing so um i do encourage people that if you are seeing that your health suffers from stress and whose doesn't you know <laughs> and if you find that um your health is compromised because you worry a lot or because you um you know like you are very anxious or because you are very um wired and can't relax or unwind creativity is an amazing way to do it and you can do and and i do you know like recommend that when you when you do something creative it's fine if you want to have creativity that you share with the world, but do it first and foremost for yourself. So, you know, like do it for you. And it's almost like who cares what other people think or who cares if how other people perceive it, like do it for the 
for the joy of doing it. And there's so many health benefits that you will get when you get in touch with that joy, with that joy of create of creation, you know, like, and, and uh, our, our world is, is created and you are part of creation. And this is your birthright is to be creative. You know, it's part <laughs> yeah. of who you are. Before we end our time together, I'd like to say thank you. You can access and listen to the full interviews by visiting pentapaperpress.com backslash podcast. A list of the guests and the episode numbers will be listed on today's show notes. To receive future episodes in your inbox, subscribe to the Pen to Paper Press newsletter and subscribe on your favorite podcast application. Take care and until next time, keep your pen to paper and write and know that your words have power and your story matters. Bye for now.